1: welcome to the true beauty brooklyn podcast i'm elizabeth taylor and i'm alex shapiro we're estheticians in williamsburg brooklyn and we work with really incredible diverse ambitious and driven people who are killing it in life they deserve to be celebrated and on this podcast we're going to be sharing their stories with you
0: yeah and in between our interview episodes we'll have beauty school where it's just the two of us maybe some guest stars and we'll be chatting about beauty life weird shit about being in your 30s, and learning more about one another because that's what makes us more similar than different.
1: Also, we're a lot of fun and we have a super multicultural community and we kind of think that you might too. So why not talk about all things beauty under one black and Jewish roof?
0: Plus, we'll be answering listener questions, so be sure to write us at truebeautybrokenpodcast at gmail.com. All right, guys, let's jump into the show.
3: Oh, hey
1: guys! Hey! <laughs> Welcome to the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. Welcome! I realize that I always, my giggle comes because I always wonder if you're going to forget to come in because sometimes it takes you like a second. Yeah, you know, I'm always out in la <laughs> la land. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'm like oh yeah oh, we're, right, we're recording whoopsies
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, welcome beauty baddies we missed you guys i missed you guys a lot a lot a lot oh i missed you too i guess <laughs> <laughs> well we've been super busy we've been recording a lot ahead of time because as you guys know we're working on franklin shit is wild over here for us In like in all of the ways, January's a shit month. I'm hanging on by a thread.
3: <laughs> we
0: both are. <laughs> Literally, wait, last night, Kyle, Kyle is my husband, for those of you who don't know, they know, was just talking about how, like, he's feeling depressed and how he just, like, hates being an adult, and I just started laughing, which is so not how you should react, but yeah. I was just like, dude, I'm hanging on by a fucking thread, <laughs> and I have no good advice to give you yeah. other than, like... Eventually, it will be warm out and sunny again, and we'll right. feel so much better. I exactly. started laughing too because he was just like not
1: expecting that response. And I'm usually like a very supportive person. Well, because you're like, bro, have you looked up? Did you see the glow up this past year? A bitch has, but two have you businesses also seen all of- the mental breakdowns that I've been having? <laughs> exactly, <of> it, like- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, slash, like, <laughs> a bitch knows <laughs> about adulting these days. Like the shapiro yeah. that I met three years ago, it was a little different. These days, <laughs> honestly, like, I-
0: like, yeah, yeah like, dude, I, I know it's going sir (laughs) i have two husbands a black one and a white one (laughs) like yeah it's a lot it's It's a lot lot. (laughs) it's a lot
1: (laughs) anywho guys so here we are (laughs) so that's why like (laughs) this morning i was kind of losing it and i was just like i just need to like podcast it's become my therapy yeah talking to our baby baddies introducing you guys to the most incredible people having these conversations speaking of you like
0: that transition A segue. I love it. (laughs) We have a great guest today. This interview was so much fun. Yes,
1: it really was.
0: I feel like I have known this person forever. For
1: years. Right? Bestie. Yeah. Yeah. A a new, fast friendship for sure, in a way Mm -hmm. that's. Doesn't usually translate I mean with us it translates through camera but I don't know I, I would probably think that you would feel the same way it's been a lot it's been a while since we met somebody that like first sentence was like oh you're one of us you're one of yeah. us yeah, yeah 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 I think yeah. the first thing they said was oh the g-train It's trash. And I was like, oh, you're one of
0: us. (laughs) You get it. You get it. So today we're chatting with James Rose. James is an actor, Mm -hmm. a gender fluid actor based here in New York City. Mm -hmm. They've been. okay. first of all, they've been in the marvelous Mrs. Maisel which is a big deal do you guys watch that show people even though I've never it. watched it but I know it's a big deal no
1: I know it's a big deal because everybody's shocked when I say that I haven't watched it and I, I guess I mean we're, we're funny ladies and we're here for the ladies so it yeah. makes sense that we would watch that show so now we got to check it out because we've got a new best friend on it
0: I know and even more importantly in response to the pervasive diet culture and shaming of the entertainment industry, James has become a health at every size personal trainer and trauma informed yoga teacher,
3: mm-hmm. creating
0: space for all people to make peace with their bodies and move for joy.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love this. I loved I uh, the conversation that you guys were having about trauma informed yoga classes and how yeah. that looks different between regular, like traditional yoga and trauma informed yoga and just their experience in this industry that like you and i are certainly just now i think getting a peek behind the curtain like we stumbled into the answer are we entertainers yes.
0: so we're in the entertainment industry we're now darling. In the entertainment
1: industry darling
0: we're entertaining all you guys out there i guess so my grandma told me if i wanted to be a singer and dancer i could be a singer and a dancer that just didn't work out for me because i can't <laughs> sing or dance
1: but here we do it every week for people who yeah. can't see us <laughs> It's
0: true. Which it's just hilarious. hilarious. Um, James also teaches online through Full Soul Nutrition and serves as its podcast co-host. Yeah. So James has a lot going on. Yes. Uh, oh, also, you need to follow them on Instagram. Yes. Because just, I, I don't know if you've been following Elizabeth, but I have. And yes, I'm I pretty have. Obsessed. No, I, I love um, it. Yeah.
2: First of all, I just They'll, love their they'll mention.
0: So it's, like, it's such a joy to have them pop up. James mentions their Instagram, but I'll just mention it now. So if you want to start scrolling through their Instagram while you listen to this interview, it's uh, James is smiling.
1: Yes, and they are smiling and honestly seeing their face every morning. Whenever I happen to be scrolling on Instagram because I don't follow that many people. So their face constantly is popping up. And it's honestly such a treat to be in their world and see their face and hear the beautiful things that they have to say, which sometimes like the other day they were saying... The same shit that we're saying right now is January is terrible out there, <laughs> but it was just nice to see somebody that has such a, a lovely face, even when they're delivering terrible news. Oh, it's true. Yeah. Um, without further ado, enjoy our conversation, guys, with the fabulous James Rose. <laughs>
2: My name is James. I'm James is smiling on Instagram. My pronouns are they, them. I am a gender fluid storyteller. And uh, I came to that, you know, like label relatively recently because I realized all the things that I do, like to exist under capitalism and also for fun, are all like versions of storytelling. So I'm an actor. That's my main passion is like to bring stories alive because that was the medium that I found myself. The most changed by, and the most excited by, and where I found that like my gifts lend themselves the most, and so like nothing gives me more joy than like being on stage or like being in a set where I get to create somebody that makes us think about the world a little bit differently. Um, because I think that like the power of art is even in today's world like so understated and underrated, and I think that there is just incredible opportunity to like crack open people's echo chambers, even within their own brains, and bring in something else. It's you know, the one place where I get to have access to all sorts of things I may not ordinarily experience in my real life is by watching and creating art so I'm an actor and then outside of that um, I'm a health at every size personal trainer and a yoga teacher Um, I am recovered from an eating disorder so I became a health at every size personal trainer because I wanted a space where people could come in and have a neutral relationship with their body and with weight Um, because so much of the wellness industry is fat phobic and like really relies on diet culture and like selling us this narrative that we have to change ourselves and fit into these oppressive patriarchal standards of like body and beauty in order to survive and thrive and in reality like None of that actually works, and it is just there to make us smaller and less than. And I reject that with every fiber of my being. And so, I became a health at every size personal trainer, and then through that, I became a trauma informed yoga teacher. Um, so, I worked with domestic violence shelters, harm reduction shelters. Um, I was going to be teaching um, in a prison before like the pandemic started. So, like, wow. uh, I work with the that like everyone seems to forget about but like are arguably the most important places where like people who have experienced any sort of acute recent trauma absolutely need a space where they can just be in their body um and like as a trauma survivor myself I write a lot on Instagram about like my experience with um surviving sexual assault I think that there's nothing more important for us than to have a space where we can understand the story that our body is telling us and then have a space where we can start to work through that and so storyteller in both ways it's like, what's the story our body is telling us? What's the story that I can tell as an actor? And um, more recently, I, like, dick around on Instagram. Um, I love it there. I don't know what I'm doing at any point. Um, it's so funny being on this podcast because I have been, like, self-coining myself as an extremely famous beauty influencer. Um, and it came about because I don't have a skincare routine. Um, like, somebody asked me, like, you know an. Anything and they're like, What's your skincare routine? And I literally, it's on TikTok. I walked them to the bathroom and I was like, This is what it is. And I set the phone on the counter. I cupped some water in my hands. I splashed my face. I put a towel on and I was like, Do this twice a week. That's all I do. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: And of course, you I, have beautiful skin.
2: Thank you so much. It's just genetics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <And> like,
0: yeah. <laughs> all
2: the sunlight hitting me right now. Like, mm. and I think crying every day really does help keep me luminous. You Um, and probably being 26 definitely helps. So that's, that's like the long and the short of me, I guess. There's, there's so much more that we could talk about, but we can go in any of those directions that you want to.
1: There's so much goodness in that. So much. So when we first reached out to you, we were in the first half of, no, the second half of 2021. And we were doing what we were calling the Body Care Chronicles and talking about just like different bodies and body types and like what all of that entails. And so now going into 2022, we're sort of um, changing our focus into like mental health and mm-hmm. one of our listeners reached out and asked about, you know, surviving sexual trauma and trauma in the body. And that kind of is what got us thinking about this subject. And so when you reached out, it was kind of perfect timing because we're, we're making this sort of transition into, you know, the next phase of it's not necessarily like the bo- body chronicles, but still, you know, like beauty in terms of not just like physical beauty, beauty in terms of getting our minds right. Because... We're the first generations, I think, really, to speak openly about mental health, to take it seriously, to encourage one another to get treatment, to, you know, try to change the narrative. And I didn't realize how important it was until people started saying, like, "Thank you for speaking about these things." Whereas, like, Alex and I was talking about fucking anything. Clearly, you will too. It's just like <laughs> anything that comes to my mind, it comes out of my mouth.
2: <laughs> Very shy. I I appreciate that because I think that you know the fact that you two are willing to talk about anything like I think that is not to be corny but like that is what is so beautiful about the work that you're doing and I think that like obviously I think we all agree that beauty is so much more than like what our exterior is but there's a lot of beauty in healing and like it's one of the ugliest experiences internally but I think one of the most beautiful ones to witness like at the risk of romanticizing a very difficult thing to do Mm -hmm. but like the moment's that we start to, you know, grab onto the vines of the jungle of our mental health and like start to swing with them. I think it's I think it's really beautiful. I think it's special. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm so glad that you're open to talking about it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Where where would you like to start?
0: I definitely I would like to touch a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, about I know that you dealt with an eating disorder. Maybe just talking about what helps you mentally to kind of stay away from diet culture, especially because you're really active on Instagram. I just want to touch lightly because we have had many conversations on the podcast about body positivity, fat positivity. And I know that sometimes it can be triggering for people to hear like a lot about eating disorders, but I would like to kind of touch upon it. And obviously you've been in the theater world and how those. Yeah. Yeah. How that worked.
1: Yeah. Maybe you can tell us your story and then also focusing maybe more on like the recovery Journey. I mean whatever you feel comfortable sharing yeah. but maybe focusing more on your recovery would be great
2: yeah I love that. I think we even got connected through Alyssa Rumsey, who I love and adore. My experience was the theater world and my eating disorder were totally connected. And I won't give any specifics just because specifics about like weight, numbers, behaviors, things like that can obviously be very triggering. So I will keep this as vague as possible in terms of the triggering elements. And I'll keep it um, as personal as I can for like, you know, the things that may be useful for anyone listening. Um, Because I wish I'd heard something like this when I was recovering. Um, But when I was working in theater, I mean, I still do, but it's a pandemic, so, you know, up and down. Um, but, like, when I was auditioning, you know, every day, all the time, your body becomes your currency. And so much of theater is based on the politics of desirability. Um, I don't know if you know Deshaun, but they talk a lot about the politics of desirability. They just released a book um, called The Belly of the Beast, which is, um, like, in my head, I think about it as the part two of Sabrina String's book, uh, Fearing the Black Body, which is, like, the racial origins of fat phobia, and how, like, the politics of desirability really informed the way that, like, this thin supremacy and especially like this white thin supremacy have permeated our society, right? And so I was a beneficiary of that because I'm a tall, thin, white person. But then at the same time, I was presenting particularly masculine at the time. And so I was getting you know tossed between the body expectations of being an air quotes man and the body expectations of being a woman. And I was like in the crossfires of those because I was experiencing my own like gender radicalization and my own like gender renaissance that I kind of still think I'm in mm-hmm. um, because, you know, gender is so informed by the world around. Us and our experiences, and I have new experiences every day. So, and some of them are gendered and they inform my understanding of myself. So, I was really caught in the crossfires of what is expected of my body types in the different circles I was swimming in as an artist. And so, it led me to an eating disorder where I was exhibiting behaviors that were completely unhealthy, but they were informed by what was, you know, verbally expected of me numbers, you know, size, weight, shape, these things that were very specific. Um, And so, my best friend at the time, who is Katie Cordino, she's now a registered doctor dietitian and runs her own private practice called Full Soul Nutrition. Nutrition. Um, she and I were recovering at the same time. She had been through hers much uh, before mine, uh, much earlier. And then she was like, you know, maybe you should eat. And I was like, interesting. I was like I used to use the same excuse. And she brought me to essentially what turned out to be almost a support group that was using movement and journaling to like work through your relationship with food. And I started working with a dietician and, um, I read health at every size and I read, um, body respect by Dr. Linda Bacon. And, um, I started working on the principles of intuitive eating, which is like Evelyn Trivoli and Elise Rush's, um, like empirically supported data that is like pretty much our best gold standard of science for eating disorder recovery right now. There are 10 principles, um, um... Which makes it sound like a 10 step program. It is and it isn't at the same time. Like, it is not at all parallel to, like, Alcoholics Anonymous, for instance, but it is very much parallel to, like, here are the ways in which we repair our relationship with food and our body and we relearn these things. So I started doing that and I started rejecting a lot more of, like, what was being taught to me by the industry. And once I recognized that the messaging that I had internalized was not my own, it became a lot easier to reject it. The idea that I had to be a certain size or a certain weight or look like something, even though I already met. So many of those things um, naturally because of my biology I was still experiencing so many of these standards that were unrealistic which means that it only gets worse and worse and worse for fat people, super fat people and thin fat people, you know, the, the fatness scale goes up and I'm on the most privileged end of any body size spectrum and I'm still experiencing a shit ton of it, right? Mm-hmm. So like it only gets worse and I realized that like a lot of what I had internalized was this fat phobia so I started reading and I started listening to experts who experienced intersections of marginalization that I cannot um, and I started learning from educators like um, my friend at Jordan Allen Hall on Instagram, um, Ashley Chubby Bunny, Sabrina Strings, Deshawn, um, Body Posse Panda. A lot of the people who were reckoning with the racial origins of fat phobia, the systemic origins of fat phobia, and I realized like, oh, okay, I am I am existing at this place where I am oppressed by some of this, but I am also an oppressor because I'm perpetuating this. And so once I started attacking it from more of a social justice perspective. I understood my place a little bit better in like what this had to be and so my healing became not only a radicalization politically but it also became like a rejection of the culture around me because you know everybody's got their own angle into their healing it's like are you doing this for yourself are you doing this because like you know your parents are forcing you into treatment are you doing this because like you know there's some dream that you have that you have to be able to accomplish and you have to be at a place where you're recovered enough to exist in society every day and for me it was like I need to give the biggest middle fingers possible to the system Mm -hmm. and so that's what I started doing and how do I keep that um I mean, I recovered from my, like, eating disorder, so I don't exhibit any more, like, behaviors around food or things like that or, like, you know, body checking, weight shape kind of stuff. Um, you know, like, the doctor asked me how much I weighed the other day, and I was like, I don't fucking know, and I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no reason we need that information from me or literally anyone else. Like, yeah. even though you're prescribing me medication, this medication is not contingent upon my weight. Here's the science behind it. Like, wow, you got to yeah. come and inform someone, I suppose. But, um, you. Thank you. Um, But you can't ever recover from diet culture. You can't recover from the fact that there are billboards everywhere telling you what you're supposed to look like, that there are TV shows, that there are podcasts, that there is this plethora of media that is telling you what you're supposed to be. And most of it is rooted in making sure that other people stay down in our system of oppression so that way you can come up. And as far as I'm concerned, I I listened to a Toni Morrison interview, and she said, you know, if the only way you can be big is to put somebody else on their knees, that's a you problem. Mm -hmm. And so every time I get a message like that, I think about that quote. It's like, who am I putting on their knees when I internalize this message? Mm -hmm. Um, And so... Like that's—it's just a daily filtering, and I don't think that it's the culture that has gotten that much better. We do see a lot of improvements, I think, especially with millennials and Gen Z. But diet culture is rampant. I mean, it's a billion-dollar industry, right? And um, the way that I combat it is like by fine-tuning my filtration system because you're going to get the messages, but you absolutely can get to a point where you're recovered and where you can filter them to a point where they don't affect you in the same way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. That's really, really incredible. I mean, what I loved about what you just said was, like, the tools that you use in your recovery, you know, the tools that you use to give you a purpose. Because so much in life is about, I think, purpose. And I think the way that you can get up every day out of bed is to have a purpose, right? It's like, you know, to to want... One thing or to want something that's physical, you know, I go to work because I want a house and I want to eat and I want clothes like that's only going to get you so far for so long. And there comes a point where you're just like, but for what to what end and purpose like a deep purpose of uh, is I think what takes anything to change anything to push things forward so I love that you found your purpose in social justice and especially it seems like you found yourself also within that which is really really incredible
2: thank you I used to be like the most transphobic person and now look at me fully very
1: trans
2: (laughs) (laughs) for everyone wow
1: (laughs) do you think that your phobia came from the fear of seeing who you truly were of of who Because it's scary, right? It's like, it's vulnerability, I think, in general. Well, I'll speak from like a relationship standpoint, because the deeper (laughs) I get with like, you know, my partner and I've been together for 14 years. Um, Alex and I are now partners. And so it's just like, you know, with any type of relationship, there's a type of vulnerability. And like the more vulnerable you become, the more people see your true self. And that can be really, really uncomfortable especially if you're kind of uncomfortable with who your true self is. And so um, if any of that rings true to you. I think
2: I have a slightly different relationship to it than you do, which I think is cool. Um, it's a boring podcast if we all agree on everything, right? I mean, yeah. and it's not that I disagree. Experience is different right so i have found that the moments that i am the most vulnerable are when i feel the strongest you know like when i have an, any sort of like interpersonal relationship or even a parasocial relationship like online with instagram or with tiktok those are my only social medias those are the only relevant social medias in case <laughs> i'm sorry what are we doing on twitter i what are we doing
0: i'll say I still don't have a fucking Twitter because I, I don't understand. I like to just—I
1: like to scroll and read. I can't. It's too smart. For, it's too intellectual for me to jump in. Do you know what I mean? But I just like to see what the okay. peoples are saying. I don't okay, look at so it at all very, ever. Okay. Also, black Twitter's hilarious, huh? Okay, hilarious. Sure.
2: <laughs> the best of those that come through is memes, and I see my friends like reposting them. So. Which is, okay, also a hypocrite, because that's, like, the argument all my friends say about, like, oh, the best TikToks become reels, and I'm like, no, the future of the industry is TikTok. You have to get on it.
3: <laughs> um, but,
2: so, <laughs> nonetheless, when i mean any of those relationships, like, a lot of what I've done is, like, just kind of taken my heart and cracked it wide open and put it out to the world and said, like, here you go. You know, like, do with this what you will. I mean, it's not the whole world. You know, there are, you know, a couple thousand people that follow me. Um, but when I was... Starting out, I found that that was where I felt the strongest was when I wrote about an experience that I had, and I just kind of let it go. It was almost like sending out a carrier pigeon almost and hoping it got to the right person. But it was me writing about my gender. It was me writing about my eating disorder recovery. It was me writing about my recovery from sexual assault. You know, It was these deeply, to me, personal things, but like they were too big to fit in my chest. So I had to put them out there because then it made them real. It meant that I didn't have to go through them alone. And then it meant that I could process them on a bigger canvas and I needed a bigger canvas than just like my own journal or like trapped inside my own chest. Mm -hmm. And so like, kind of bringing that back to what you said about the vulnerability and how there's a a lot there to me, that's very true. Like there was a lot of vulnerability in that and how scary that can be. And like, you know, when you're not sure about who your sense of self really is, it can be even harder. But to me, that was the only way to reckon with who my sense of self was, was to put it out there. And it wasn't so much about like getting the response. It was just like, not to use like 2019 buzzword, but like it was to be witnessed (laughs) was like what made it real and then there was like at least a solid foundation that I could build on and I was like okay if these things are true then like let me build upon this and let me excavate even more and I think as a writer like that's always Maggie Nelson who's like one of my favorite authors she wrote the Argonauts if you haven't read the Argonauts you must read the Argonauts um it's uh she is married to a trans person and she's pregnant with their first child and it's about her you know experience with that. I mean, it's just the most beautiful story and heartbreaking story of uh, learning sense of self. Mm -hmm. And she writes and speaks about how writing for her was a point of clarity. And that rings true for me. I mean, I'm not a Guggenheim fellow like Maggie Nelson is, but like, you know, behind the text post of my Instagram, to me, it is a point of clarity. And it's like, if I write these things out and these are my truths, then I understand myself better and I hit post and then I just let it exist as it does, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But to me, that kind of vulnerability allows me to get closer to my true self. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's an argument to be made that there's a very sheltered version of vulnerability there, that maybe that's not actually truly vulnerable because there's the safeguard of, like, I'm my own editor. Um, but at least especially on a gender um, like speaking at it from a gendered perspective, like the more that I would write about my experiences and like the more that I was connecting with like womanhood and the more that I was um, grappling with like what it meant to live outside of the binary, the much more closely I felt like I had a relationship with myself.
1: Mm-hmm. That's really beautiful. Really, really beautiful.
2: It also sucks because then people will be like, trans people are wrong and we're going to kill you Also, you know, there is another edge to that. Yeah, well, (laughs) that's what I was going
1: to ask. Is that where yoga kind of came in for you to be able to process, like, both, you know, just feelings, just, like, to be able to process (laughs) feelings?
2: It was actually the other way around. I started yoga way before I went on my gender journey. Um, But I think that they're connected because the way that I move – is very, uh, close to me as a dancer. So like, you know, movement is like my language to express myself. And I had always felt like my movements were much more feminine than perhaps like what my birth assignment might lead you to believe. Mm -hmm. And so I- Found a lot of expression through, um, and I don't mean feminine in a gendered way. I mean feminine in an energetic way, like um, we talk about in yoga. Like um, Susanna Barkataki is one of like my online yoga teachers, and she writes about like decolonizing yoga. And um, one of the source texts for yoga is the Bhagavad Gita, and it talks about um, masculine and feminine energies just as they present. You know, feminine being much more fluid and non-fixed, and um, artistic, essentially, and masculine energy being very steadfast. And solid and grounded and um, exacting. And we all have both of them in us, of course. But I had been denied femininity for so long, as most of us are, and most of us are victimized or looked down upon or maligned or marginalized for our femininity. And uh, like as a a cultural experience, so not just the energetic, but the gendered version of that is something we don't quite value in society as a whole. Um, And so the more that I got to play with that, the more that it kind of sparked, you know, my understanding of who I was. And as silly as it was, it was. It's like going into the women's section and finding leggings that fit me and going, oh, I love this. Yeah. Interesting. I'll tuck that away a few years. And then I'd revisit it and go, ah, oh, I really want to buy a sports bra. Why? Yeah. And then tuck that away for a few years. And eventually you can't hold the damn back. And like, you know, it, it, it breaks and, and you learn so much more about who you are. So for me, right. yoga actually wasn't, a way that I processed it, I think it was more of a catalyst because when you're moving and breathing on a mat, you really are only accountable to yourself. And so the thoughts that come up about who you are and and what your experience of the world is, uh, they have to be honest. And I think that's true with any physical feet of strength you know over the past year I've become like a hiker I've become one of those like dirt bags that lives out of the back of their car I did that in upstate Montana because I was like I had just done like the two best films of my life I felt like and I was like I must go process this Mm -hmm. um so I of course and where no one could find me but bears um and uh I remember being you know on the top of these gorgeous summits and going I feel like me You know, and this isn't gendered. And so I think it's so environmentally dependent. And so a lot of it is like coping with what's the environment you're around. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I was around no one, I had a very different experience than when I was moving in a yoga class versus when I was in an audition versus when I was just like sitting at home with myself or when I was engaging in. Um, any sort of intimate relations like sex really throws everything kind of on its head pun intended mm-hmm. you know what it means Your <laughs> <on, laughs> and sexuality we can get into that if we want to but yeah I don't, I don't know, know if that that like, yeah
3: yeah uh-huh. <laughs> <It's like not laughs> I don't know
2: that was the word vomit that came to me when you spoke about that so. yeah we love
1: to talk about dicks um, <laughs> okay so would you mind talking a little bit about um, oh just say? because
0: you were talking about yoga I've been practicing yoga for years so I can relate to a lot okay. of what you said but I guess I've yeah. I, I never really know. I don't know what the actual definition of trauma informed yoga is.
2: Oh, sure. Um, um, if you want to talk a little bit about it. Yeah. So whatever the first thought that came to your head was, is probably correct. Um, Essentially, Susanna Barkataki talks about this. All yoga should be trauma-informed. That's, like, the core of what yoga was before it got so westernized and essentially bastardized um, and uh, (laughs) lululemonified, essentially. (laughs) You know, like, you create a space in a container to... um, Meditate through either sitting still or through movement. Um, the word yoga means to yoke or unite. So I think about it. My personal interpretation is like uniting mind, body, spirit. Um, everybody has their own relationship to that. And when we unite those things, we have to reckon with like whatever is underneath. Um, I talk about like, what am I pushing up against when I do something physically challenging? Usually something emotional comes up for me. So what is that thing that is up against? And for me, oftentimes that is trauma. And so if we ask, like, okay, so what is trauma informed? Mean, we're also asking what is trauma? And like in our trainings, that's what we would talk about is how trauma has a pretty broad definition. And my personal favorite one was an experience that feels overwhelming or out of control. And that can be anything. I mean, anything can be traumatic. There is a scale. There is a spectrum. um, And anything fits on that spectrum, because if it feels traumatic to you, then it was and it is. And that does not mean that that will be the same for anybody else. You know, like, Alex, what might be traumatic to you is not necessarily traumatic to me and vice versa. Um, And the degree in which we experience the trauma can change based off of a myriad of factors that are mostly out of our control traumatic. And so, when we're doing trauma informed yoga, we're creating a space where people can move in a way that feels affirming to them and they have space to do what they need to. Um and so the way that it differs from like a traditional, you know, yoga class that you might take at a gym or a studio is that we are for instance, we're always facing the door, so domestic violence survivors can always see where the entry and exit point is so they feel the safest, because if you know where your closest exit is, you know how to get out of the situation. Um, the teacher is doing the entire class with you, and they're not really teaching you. They're just guiding you through a set of ideas that you can take what you need and leave what you don't want to. Um, it's not usually very strenuous, because like, unlike you know, doing hot yoga, which is meant to challenge and push you, trauma-informed yoga is not supposed to be like you sweating doing handstands. It's supposed to be like, let's center ourselves. Um, Um, There are no hands-on adjustments because that can be particularly triggering for people who've experienced any sort of trauma that was physical for them. Um, And there's no, like, you know, in in a class I teach at a chain gym, for instance, I might, with consent, touch people, adjust them, um, you know, help them lengthen a specific stretch or something like that. I would never do that in a trauma-informed class because that would be an invasion of the space that I'm trying to create for them. Um, it's always invitational language so it's like you know i invite you to meet me in a forward fold if that feels interesting to you um if you'd like a challenge you can lift one leg and try to find a balance here and if you decide that's not what you want i welcome you to bring that foot back down as opposed to in a class you may have taken or be familiar with inhale arms come up above your head exhale forward fold inhale halfway lift exhale forward fold again reach your right foot back into warrior three extend find your push point where you're gonna you know challenge yourself into this balance breathe through it that kind of Thing. There's a very different energy to both. They both belong, but the trauma-informed is much more about creating a, a space for people to have options and autonomy mm-hmm. over their bodies.
0: I'm thinking of specific instructors in my head where I'm like, oh, <laughs> they are, yeah. and maybe it's because they teach specific classes that are tra- very specifically trauma-informed, or that's just something that they use in their instruction, but... really cool yeah Yeah. it's
2: really cool i think it's really cool too um and it's definitely population specific like the way that you might adjust it you know i I teach with trauma-informed language when i'm teaching at a yoga studio or at a gym because everyone has trauma whether they realize it or not and i think that like inviting someone into any sort of sanctuary where they're going to be experiencing movement and difficult things um even if they don't recognize them as difficult i think that that's kind of the obligation of the teacher to hold that space which is perhaps different than i would teach like in DV shelter for instance but I think that all of it should be that way because I think that life is a lot harder than we give ourselves credit for and oftentimes people are going into specifically yoga or a fitness class because they like want the challenge and they want to look a certain way or they want to do a certain thing or they want to do something good for their bodies when most of the time the good thing for our bodies is to breathe and to rest and to listen
3: Mm -hmm.
2: but if I come to my class where we will breathe rest and listen everyone would be like no, I need to go walk the dog. I need to go to the gym. I need to pick these groceries. I need to, you know, file this thing. Yeah. No one would do it.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, you know, something that we, that I've been discovering anyway is movement for the sake of staying alive, exercise for the sake of movement and staying alive, not exercise for the sake of like gaining, some, losing or gaining something. Do you know what I mean? Gaining muscle or losing weight. You could just like movement because your body needs movement to feel good. And so yes. that sounds very nice to me. And I, Like, my journey right now in terms of, like, fitness or what have you or movement. I'm not going to call it fitness. I fucking hate that. You walk a lot. I do walk a lot. Sometimes I see you stretch. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes you see me stretch. But that's what it is, is finding things that, like, I just like to, like, finding, I guess, like, classes or whatever it is for me that's just movement. That I just like to go to because it feels good to move. Whereas right now, I think that my block is, like, it's always to gain or lose something. And I'm just like, well, I don't want to gain or lose something. Like, So what the fuck am I going to go to a fitness class for? I'm hungry. (laughs) You
0: know? Yeah. Exactly. I definitely had to, like, I mean, I think just so many people deal with, obviously, how they look and struggling with how they feel about their body. But I don't think, I mean, I'm almost 34, and I don't think it was until I was, like, 30, maybe 31, that I was, like, oh, I can work out just to feel nice. Not because I'm, like, reaching a goal of, like, having nicer abs or... A, like better
3: ass
2: yeah exactly exactly it's dismantling the hierarchy we've been taught about ourselves about like the purpose of movement
3: mm-hmm.
2: and like connecting with like you know if we think about it before we had diet culture which we did at one point exist as like human forms without it you know <laughs> like, no one alive remembers that of course but you know I think about like pictographs and like some of our earliest civilizations like they're just depicting people dancing mm. why we don't know. Is it a celebration? Is it a ritual? Is it just for fun? Like if you give people the space to have as few worries as possible, you know, no mortgage, no rent, no this, no that, whatever the deal is, those basic needs are taken care of. You know what we want to do? We want to connect and we want to celebrate just Mm -hmm. like being alive. Mm -hmm. And we want to dance. And we want to, you know, like, tell stories through movement. I mean, think about how much diversity there is in dance and the cultural, like, significance that dance has. Nobody was dancing to lose weight at one point.
3: Mm -hmm. Now,
2: all of a sudden, go into whatever, to do dance, cardio, whatever, to trim this and burn that, and all these horrible adjectives. I mean, do we hear how we talk about ourselves? It's like these classes are burn and slash and trim and cut and drop. That is so violent. Mm-hmm. That is so violent. You're going to treat the precious temple that you get to walk through the world in every day with words like that? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. But it's not your fault for being taught that and internalizing it. My goodness. Mm-hmm. We're not going to blame anything. That that doesn't get us anywhere, but like, what happens if you do? Just turn on your favorite song and dance. Do you really? Do, do people really always go to the club to pick up some guy? Absolutely fucking not. Men are not worth it. Number one, and number two, <laughs> you get to that place where you're like, I dance and I feel free. Like, yeah, one of my favorite experiences in New York, I think ever, was um, I went to the, I went to the Get Down, which is a sober social dance party. Uh, my friend Allie Mason used to be one of the like producer people on, and she had many friends that would perform there. And I remember it was like a whole crew of Live drummers one night and it was like the coolest thing in the world because I was like able to dance on top of this like essentially abandoned bar and nobody was looking at me nobody was trying to grab me I was just like dancing my life away while these live drums were like beating this music to I couldn't even conceptualize the rhythms and I have a degree in music like yeah, and I yeah. was like this is what it's about you know yeah and so what you said totally makes sense because it's like how do i just like enjoy moving to like feel good
1: mm-hmm. yeah 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 all those things that you said all these things it's so true
0: this is all very like wait how old are you 26 remember 26 26? I couldn't remember I remember everybody I remember everybody oh yeah 26 that's why
1: your skin looks so (laughs) from water
2: probably yeah
1: talk to us with (laughs) when the hormones change
2: (laughs) yeah I mean like I feel like I am probably getting away with murder and I should maybe invest in some things but I also am like I think maybe I'll just enjoy it but like every gay I know has like a skin routine that's, like, four bathroom shelves long, and they're all deeply sad.
3: Yeah, that's too many. And I'm like, I
2: don't think...
1: No, they're trying... You know, skincare is both emotional as well as purposeful, and a lot of Mm. people right and so it kind of falls into one category and a lot of people who like love skincare are just product junkies they just like like you know the high of like getting something new the smell whatever it's not really about like being purposeful like they don't have any skin issues really they're just like looking for happiness and that's why they're all sad
2: yes (laughs) i remember like i tried i won't name drop the brand because they don't deserve free advertising for me um (laughs) but i tried like you know one of those mainline skincare things and i like broke out i was like I was doing this because I thought I was supposed to, not because I want to. Yeah. You know, and I tried it different times. I was like, all right, let me give this, you know, a month and then I'll try it again and see if it was just that time I broke out again. And it was a moisturizer. It was a moisturizer. Oh, yeah. No, we're going to reject this. We just want water.
1: Is that all that you were doing with the moisturizer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh girl, that's why
2: Probably, I'm sure there were five zillion things I didn't know about it I should have been doing well, what, like a toner
1: Well, at least cleaning, at least washing At least cleansing the moisturizer off so you can put more moisturizer I on I was probably doing that, I don't even know <laughs> The
2: fact that, that I on this means no, I definitely didn't know no. what I was doing No, I, still don't know what I was doing.
0: <laughs> Just water, just At least you look great
2: thank you I appreciate it. but I do think that what you said about the happiness thing really does do it because like when I get you know not that there's anything wrong with like having zits or acne or like anything like that because I don't think that there is like clear skin is not superior to like um any skin that isn't clear at least to me and 35 um, and
1: still get breakouts no brags
2: yeah exactly exactly but <laughs> <laughs> so like I might get a zit I like can name it after a person like, I know who it was, mm-hmm. Like yeah. you know? Yeah. I'm like, I know, this is from. <laughs> Fuck you, whoever you Nobody invited you was. here. Nobody yeah, has. exactly. I'm like, I'm stressed about whatever yeah. it is. Nobody and-
1: invited this cortisol release, sir. Get out of here.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you see,
1: I understand. I understand. Um, you got... Is, yeah, because, I mean, I don't know, because there's, you know, of course, talk therapy. But I feel like, you know, as, again, somebody that's just starting my mental health journey, there's so many different types of therapies. And we all talk about talk therapy. But I'm sure that you have just being a trauma-informed yoga teacher, that alone is a different type of therapy. besides talk therapy but I'm curious if you have anything else that you love or that you wanted to share or just yeah just like any other different therapies that you use to help or if you speak on this um, with your listeners your community
2: yeah um I do. I talk about this pretty often. Um, at the beginning of the year, I was like, I am a neurotypical person.
3: <laughs> so,
2: like, I have a squirrel for a brain. And I literally was like, I don't have ADHD. Are you fucking kidding me? I can't even finish a sentence. Um, like, starting another one. Like, are you kidding? How did I ever believe that? Um, so, uh, yeah, I started, one of my 2020 goals was to go back to therapy and instead I survived a pandemic and I decided that that was not the trade-off I wanted, but I was like proud of myself for surviving. Like, if you're listening to this and you fucking survived, like you're doing the most. Mm-hmm. I don't care what capitalism says you're doing the most. My God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really, I mean, I got sick. I like, I'm now disabled from having, I'm a long COVID survivor. So like I can no longer smell. Um, so I haven't been able to smell for two years and like my, oh, my hair God. is still falling out. Like, I get out of breath randomly and like I'll get brain fog. Um, there'll be time- where I'll just drop out mid-sentence and I'll have no idea that I was just speaking. It's really scary. You know, like, the the two ends of this are not just, like, recover or die. There's this middle ground that's, like, this gulf, and it's horrifying. Um, And so... Once I had like physically survived that, which took me a little bit of time. I got sick March of 2020, like right when we shut down. Um, in New York City, I got sick like two days later. Um, I had been teaching in gyms. It makes sense as to why I got mm-hmm. sick. Um, do I forgive the people? I went to my bosses and was like, "We need to shut these down. I don't feel safe." And they were like, "You'll be fine." And I was like, "I don't think I will be." Mm-hmm. And um, so you um, I wasn't fine. <laughs> and, uh, Dude, gyms and. Uh, Yeah. And so many people weren't fine. So point is, I really spent most of that year, like physically recovering and like building up my strength back. And like, I had just ended a relationship, which was the right thing to do. But I took a while to like, sit and heal from that. And like, you know, almost started dating somebody else. You know, we had I had a mental lapse and thought a man would be worth it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He's not listening to this. We're not going to give him any more (laughs) airtime. And uh, so one rolled around and I was like shit I still haven't gone to therapy and then my close friends that are all in therapy were like you need to fucking go like you're struggling with stuff and I was and I don't even remember what I was struggling with like you know at the beginning of this year but it was enough to the point where I started posting um, on social media I was like I need to get a therapist I've been saying I'm going to do this I want to I even think it was like I wanted to work through some like gender identity stuff like to get some extra support that wasn't just within the queer community because like we know that having literal community is so important like how you know the group chat that you can be like can you believe screenshot screenshot is like so important Mm -hmm. (laughs) but at the same time therapist that's not a licensed professional that has an objective worldview on what's going on um so I was like therapy accountability I'm gonna like drag everybody off all of you thousands of people through the mud of me finding a therapist and that's what I did because I was like if I'm accountable to like I don't know 15,000 people at the time I think it's like doubled since then which is so wild um considering i don't know what i'm doing (laughs) i was like if i'm accountable to this group of people then i'll do it because i've said i'm gonna do it and now i publicly have to do it so i did and i started working through stuff and really started unpacking most of like the sexual drama stuff i really thought that i was beyond that hint we're not really beyond that we just live with it and we have to learn how to live with it you know Mm -hmm. for anybody who is a survivor of sexual assault of any kind. I think that we all can resonate with the idea that like your life post-assault is just different and you're certainly not a worse person and life doesn't have to be worse at all, but it is different. And we have to cope with the difference and there is a grievance process. There's an anger, a fear, a frustration. There are moments of hope. There are moments of joy. There are moments of celebration. And I thought that I'd given myself all the time I needed and I didn't need to unpack that anymore. fucking wrong. And so I started to really um, unpack you know, the parts of that. And I reckoned with, um, the way that I was experiencing still parts of that sexual trauma. I won't go into any, you know, specific details because we don't always need to hear that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, essentially my, the guy that I was dating at the time, like right right after I was raped, broke up with me because I was no longer lovable was the air quote. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know. Can you imagine? <laughs> I like, I say that out loud still and it like shakes me because I can't believe that like that was what happened. Mm-hmm. And, um, my therapist and I over the course of this year have realized that I have post-traumatic stress disorder. I have a sub PTSD, um, which is combined from the way that he responded and that kind of rejection and my feelings of, um, unworthiness and like being completely unlovable at the time while also physically recovering from the assault, mentally recovering from the assault, emotionally recovering from the assault. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, you know, having flashbacks, um, having... I don't really get stress dreams about it, but, like, every time of year when that happens at the end of October, um, my body will go through the same set of somatic symptoms when I was physically healing from the literal assault, Um, which is horrifying to, like, go through that every year. But I do. So that's It's a PTSD response. You know, there have been some other very specific things that lend themselves to that. And I had just always assumed that that's what happens. Like, if you're a survivor, you just live with these things. And, like, this is your, I hate to use this term, but new normal, you know. Mm The, the new thing. And that's not the truth. And and if I hadn't gone to like talk therapy to like just word vomit out what I felt and not have to worry about censoring it or sheltering my friend's feelings, you know, the way that, or we writing it in a presentable way on the internet. Um, that kind of brutal, gritty honesty allowed me to reckon with, with how much was unhealed in me. And then also reckon with how it wasn't my fault and how sometimes when these things would come back, I was able to like label it like, that's my, PTSD, that's not me, you know, like that's not the core of who I am. I am not broken. I am experiencing a fracture, but that does not mean that at the core I'm broken. And so that for me has probably been, I think, the biggest mental health supporter. Um, I have a lot of critiques of like diagnoses in general because I think they can be very um inaccessible especially for people who are poor um any people of color like disabled people trans people um because it was not created for us essentially and it's not tailored for people individually and at the same time for me it has been very helpful to have a label for this thing and so i think that my mental health has actually improved since like being able to put labels on like my adhd putting labels on my ptsd and also just having like an accountability partner almost to check in with every week it's like i know that on wednesday mornings i'm going to talk to my therapist and it's not like i have to come up with something but i've noticed that my behavior changes knowing that that will occur like the way that i will think about you know the actions that i take the way that i will not judge myself for specific things i like kind of have taken on this more neutral um, approach and like a much more gentle approach to my own self because I will hear this person's voice in my head and I will latch on to things that they say. And so it's allowed me some tools to just exist easier in my own brain. And so that's been the recent journey, which is very much in contrast to when I was healing from my sexual assault, I was in trauma therapy, which was like specifically focused on the somatic experience because I was having um as anybody understandably would a very difficult time um walking through the world every day partially was because I had been injured you know so like I thought that I was gonna have to um like have surgery which I did not end up having to have but because I was physically injured there was this like god I just felt like a lead weight that I was constantly walking around with like you know in the Christmas Carol stories when it's like all the ghosts have like all these chains on them and they're like <laughs> oh Marley like that was very- <laughs> I was walking around, but it was, like, I didn't choose them because, like, you know, in A Christmas Carol, it was, like, they did bad things, and it was, like, I was at the wrong place at the wrong time, you know? Yeah. And uh, with the wrong person. And um, so I felt like I was, I had to, like untangle these things for myself and so we did a lot of work on revisiting my memories um I had dissociated like during the actual event itself so I could only remember everything from an aerial perspective but it was incredibly detailed because it was like I was in a helicopter just hovering over the incident and I so I knew that it happened but only because I was able to watch it from above um and so it was this really interesting I don't think that this would work for everybody but I my therapist and I decided that this might be the best way for us to go forward was for me to reimagine the event and like oral narrative storytell, um my experience with it, and see where it lived in my body. And we used some Alexander technique principles, which is like an acting principle, because um, she had also worked with a lot of actors. and essentially, where did this live in my body and how do we physically discharge trauma? Um, mm-hmm. This gets really nerdy. Um, you can read more about this in like the body keeps the score by vessel Vander Kolk, if you're interested uh, because like, I think this gets really fascinating, mm-hmm. but our body trauma back to like the idea of trauma being any like overwhelming experience and, you know, scaled to the individual person. Um, but we only have three really main responses to trauma and it's fight, flight or freeze. Um, mm-hmm. And so I had the unfortunate experience of freezing. And uh, when you fight, it usually means it's like, the gas pedal on your nervous system is like full steam ahead, um, and you literally fight for oftentimes your life. That's a very animalistic instinct. Um, to flee is the same thing. It's the gas pedal in the other direction. You know, It's like pressing forward or backwards, I guess, essentially on, on our very you know small car or whatever. And uh, that's also a very animalistic instinct. And I asked my therapist, well, how does freeze happen? And how is this useful? Like Because you just freeze, and then things just happen to you because you can't go anywhere or do anything you're not in your body and you can't scream and you can't what what is the use of this and she said you know in the animal kingdom freeze is useful because it's to protect people's young um so like bears for instance freeze when they are protecting their young because they'll literally freeze on top of them but because they're a fucking bear so nothing's going to come necessarily attack them because they're like the largest thing in the forest so if they're like sitting on top of their young it's very unlikely that their young are going to be attacked because they're the size of like a large truck Mm -hmm. I am a person and so then all of a sudden I'm in freeze which is like Um, The way my therapist explained it was likening it to the the forward and the back button being pressed at the same time. So you have all this energy going in two directions, but they cancel each other out. And so I am then experiencing this trauma, not able to do anything because I'm frozen, which is a normal response. And I think a lot of times people guilt themselves for it. I felt guilty because it's like, why can't you just get up and get out of it? Why can't you hit this guy in the face? Like, Why can't you do these things to get yourself out of the situation? But my nervous system was wired to dissociate to protect me. And so we worked through a lot of that. And what happens is when you go into freeze, that energy goes somewhere because your nervous system is releasing a shit ton of like hormones, essentially, to keep you safe and to allow you to safely dissociate. So while something happens to your physical body, you can still survive it mentally. Really complex and kind of fascinating when you think mm-hmm. about it. As, yeah. Um, obviously not without damage or repercussion, but like I'm alive. Most survivors that are going to be listening to this are alive. I hope. If you're on the other side, cool. I have some questions. Um, but <laughs> you know, somewhere, so we were working to like physically discharge it. Um, and eventually that did happen. So there are many types of therapy, and I I don't think that one is more correct than the other, but I do think on an individual basis something will work for each individual person better, and it it can be very trial and error, and just because you hit an error doesn't mean that you did anything wrong. You may have just exhausted that resource, and it's time to find another one.
0: Mm -hmm. When you said before that yoga can be meditative, I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, absolutely. I can sometimes have a hard time meditating but through yoga I feel that feeling and I also feel like it's very therapeutic and at times when I've just been going through shit mentally I'm like oh this is this will make me feel better Mm -hmm. and it really does and it's like it's different for everyone right like some people are sad and they need to lay in bed some people are sad they need to talk to their therapist I'm not saying that I wouldn't benefit from either of those things also but (laughs) but (laughs) Also, yoga really – like, it's really cool that you're a yoga instructor and you've also dealt with these things in your life because Mm -hmm. I think that it probably makes you an even better teacher, honestly.
2: Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I think everybody's been through their set of shit. You know, this is just mine. Um, And I think because people know about it, then they look for it, you know, in – the way that I teach or the way that I perform. And it's true. It's like those things informed who I am. I can't divorce them just because I'm playing a character or teaching you to get into warrior one, you know? Yeah. But I think that everybody has that kind of special angle because everybody has their own mm-hmm. special set of circumstances and things that they've survived. And, like, um, healing is a privilege in its own right. Not everybody has access to the same healing. And so... I think it's important, like, not to put my—not that you're doing this, but like just in general. I think it's it's a cultural phenomenon that we put people who have gone through therapy and healing and you know somatic work, is, is, etc. Um, we put them on a pedestal so that way. You know, we see that as like the pinnacle of achievement and survivorship. But I don't think that's true because like if you think about the working class mother who is living at the poverty line supporting her children that has experienced sexual violence herself, her ability to get through each day is her survivorship. Mm -hmm. She may have the same resources because of the way our society is structured to have access to the same healing i do i think that's also a problem that we have to systemically tackle but like you know let's put that aside for a second and reckon that like you know my healing isn't any better than hers but they are different Mm -hmm. so i just think that for anybody who is working through a healing and it looks different than mine or yours or you know however that may work i think that it's still equally as valid and important because we're all doing the best that we can with like the individual set of circumstances that we were given and that we're living in, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable and sharing so much with us. And I think that that's the difference is um, not that you, not that you deserve to be put on a pedestal, no, but but that you are able to share what other people aren't, or what other people like aren't necessarily, maybe they haven't worked through it, maybe they don't have the words to verbalize it, maybe they don't have the people in their lives to accept what it is that they're ready to say. So I think that just by seeing people get through things, and here's how I got through it, just gives hope to so many who aren't exactly what you're saying, who don't have the proof. Therapy is so fucking expensive it's like it's 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 really upsetting honestly because there's so many like the people who are the most marginalized you said it, like the woman who's surviving poverty with children she needs therapy she needs therapy bad you know because she exactly (laughs) what you just said and it's like it's she's probably not gonna be able to get it and it's it's really upsetting but sharing these stories is I think it's just like this is a free resource, right? Like yeah. you speaking yeah. on this podcast is a free resource for somebody to hopefully like get, you know, start their journey. And so I thank you so, mm-hmm. so much for that, for sharing that with us and with our audience.
0: And also pointing out that um, trauma can look different for everyone. And that because I've definitely like gone to maybe look at it, especially if I'm like on a trip, like I'm away. I like to check out different yoga studios. And I have seen classes that are literally called trauma-informed yoga or maybe the instructor specializes in that and I always like skipped by it because I'm like oh that's not for me but actually it totally is for me (laughs) it's for anyone and everyone because everyone has some sort of trauma in their life that either they're working through or they've kind of tucked away or yeah I don't know I guess also uh, as a society or I've at least felt like oh well if it's not that bad then you should get over it or yeah. People have it worse or yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, we all gaslight ourselves out of our right to heal with that mentality. We all do it, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. because like what happens is when we sit down and we like sort through the shit to get to the core of it, we realize how, how much of that wound is still so unhealed. And so it's like, even if you feel like somebody else has it worse, you know what? You're not that somebody else. Yeah. You're, scale and perspective and frame of reference can only be informed by your own experiences Mm -hmm. and so it's like you're absolutely right like remembering that it's going to look different for different people and just a note on like when you see trauma informed on like people's schedules most people tend to be pretty aligned in the principles but like be wary of the people who like will take you into a class and say, like, we're going to invoke a traumatic response in this because that does happen, where it's, like, teachers are like, let's get to the core of you and, like, break you down to build you up. Mm. That is bullshit. Like, that is, like, where you get into really dangerous territory and a lot of, like, abusers really take advantage of people um, when they do that. I worked at a yoga studio that did that. Like, that was how I started unlearning some of my stuff was because I worked wow. for a who, you know, would... Break people down to build them back up, essentially, and like you never want to be in a situation where somebody is calling your trauma out on the line or like making you share things or like you know any anything like that that isn't done by like a licensed professional where you have actively given permission to. Yeah,
1: do- that was in New York. That's a ne- that's oh, that was Nexium, but that's what I was just thinking when you said that. That reminds me of like cult shit and like Nexium and and things like that. You said <laughs> that was in New York. I was like that was Nexium.
0: <laughs> was that in New York? At a studio in New York. It was, yeah. This was incredible. This was, amazing. This was honestly amazing. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Also, I just want to tell you that I, like, laugh cried earlier. I was looking at your Instagram, and there was this post about your dad. <laughs> at the end of the post, you were like, and sometimes he'll point out, guys, he thinks that are hot when we're watching football.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah, my dad is. He doesn't know it, but he's a queer icon. He's pretty cool. Hilarious. Also, yeah. you
0: look a lot like him, or at least what he looked like back in the day. Your gorgeous eyebrows.
2: Oh, yeah, gorgeous you. eyebrows. Gorgeous. His hair is of mine now. He's downstairs, actually. So we, we look the same now, too. It's really funny. I, I love that. The hot one in my family, yet it's still my dad. And he's <laughs> so annoying.
0: That's where you uh, get the good skin from.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, well, it's from my mom. She looks just like me, too. They look alike. It's hilarious. Oh, they're yeah,
3: so couple, they're
2: couples like that. You know, like, they'd be like, oh my God, your mom's here with her brother. And I'm like, no, that's my dad. <laughs> like, What? They're divorced like, the same relationship as siblings. Oh, that's
1: so interesting. <gasps> Hilarious. Wait, okay, but would you tell everybody where they can find you, the the Instagrams, the TikToks, all the places on the internet? Oh, my God.
2: Yes. Um, so on Instagram and on TikTok, my only social media is, if you see anything else, um, it's a lie, at uh, James is smiling, all one word. Hang out with me there. I never know what I'm doing. That's, like, the most fun about it. Like, half my TikToks recently have been me stumbling out of men's apartments at, like, 2 in the morning and <laughs> to like, enjoy. Um, and like half my Instagram is me being like just fucking around. Like I just think we deserve joy and happiness, and so any way that I get to create, that is cool. Um, and then uh, if you see me on Grinder, no, you didn't. I know mean, you did. <laughs> um, but like, tell me that you found me through this podcast, so I don't like start talking about stories, and you're like, oh, I already know this. I listen to the podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. You were Thank just such a I am so honored to have shared thank this you. virtual space with you.
1: Thank You're the you greatest, so, so much. Yes. Thank you so so much. Hey guys. Hey. <laughs> Jay. I messed up as if I we haven't done this eighty-six times. 86 literally yeah um
0: hope that you all loved that conv- convo 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 what did you think did you love james also? okay um seriously you all need to follow james on yeah, instagram already because did. i hope so i don't know i just feel like instagram has become a lot of the same annoying shit yes but james's page is just
1: Different. i don't know lifts me up yes Agreed. It's different. It's uplifting. They're such a treat. I'm sure that like everything that you just listened to. Wise beyond
0: their years, honestly.
1: Honestly, wise beyond their years. Are we 10 years older than them? I think that that's what I discovered actually on on Instagram. So if you're older than us, maybe don't, you might feel a little bit haggard and aged. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us the truth here. But you know what? I like, I kind of feel like when we spoke with the nutritionist. Oh, Erica, Erica. When Erica was like, "Oh my god, I love talking to young people." That's how I feel. That's how <laughs> yeah. I feel, with James. Like, oh my god, I love hanging out with young people. Same. They make me feel so young. They make me feel so young. But it's true. It's true. I forget sometimes yeah. that everybody's twenty six except for us.
0: <laughs> I I tell I've told you I tell I let Kyle know a few years ago like I'm twenty six forever. No. Yes.
1: All right, girl. Well, There's I'm ten- nothing wrong with that. I'm ten years. There's nothing wrong with that, <laughs> except we have a podcast where we talk about aging is so great, et cetera, et cetera.
0: <laughs> it is, but I just like the number twenty-six. Like I felt my back didn't hurt yet.
1: <laughs> well, you girl, a girl bitch is aging turning is great. Age is just a number,
0: but that was just like a good year, you know.
1: You know your your black husband's turning thirty-six this year. Yeah, she's old. <laughs> um- <laughs> Anyway, you all know where to find us. Yes, you can find us on the gram. You're going to go follow James is Smiling. Then you're going to click right over. You're going to follow True Beauty Brooklyn, True Beauty Brooklyn Podcast. Podcast. Then you're going to follow the brown Elizabeth Taylor.
0: And then you'll follow Alex Lindley for actually for no reason because no I really. don't really post Neither anything. do I. Neither of
1: us post, but we just want <laughs> friends.
0: <laughs> Maybe if I have more people following me, I'll be like... You more interested in posting? Probably not.
1: Maybe, maybe. Let let me be positive. You and I are going to... That's going to be our New Year's resolution to each other and to the beauty baddies. (laughs) Sure.
0: Um, You can also email us at truebeautybrooklynpodcast at gmail.com. We've honestly
1: been getting really great emails from you guys. Some of them... (laughs) (laughs) Email us anything, even just to say hi. Okay, but some of y'all, I feel like you maybe are dictating... And so there's just run on sentences and missing words, which is fine because I got it at the end of the day. I was like, oh, a bitch is dictating into her phone. I get it. And you yeah. usually. I'll just read it 12 times. I'll just read it 12 times and <laughs> insert the fucking periods and commas where they need to be. Look, we love you regardless. Just write us. Yes. Do we care? No. Do we care about periods? Not so much. I'll take a comma. I didn't even finish college. I know nothing about punctuation. (laughs) I couldn't even remember the word punctuation. I was like, you know, periods and things. Periods and stuff. All right, guys. That's it. We love you. We'll see you next next week. Bye.
0: Bye. This has been a COC BK production.
1: Produced by us. Elizabeth Taylor and Alex Shapiro Our engineer is Bart Tripoli Our theme music composer is Zebra Sonic. Our artwork is by Garrett Ross If you're an
0: advertiser interested in advertising on our show go to midroll.com slash ads For more information
1: go to exactlyrightmedia.com